Trying to make that thing.
we um, test? We're good? Okay. Hey, good morning. My name is Matt Nelson. I'm the adult discipleship pastor here at Stonebridge, and we're so glad that you are here to worship with us this morning. Uh, over the past week, I've been able to, I've uh, been fortunate enough to bump into a number of you, probably about five of you guys, and uh, whether it's been on the Silver Comet, uh, up near the square, um, or even just passing by on the road. Um, every time I see one of you guys, it's just a, a really good reminder that, um, yeah, that our church, why I love our church so much is the people in our church, is that we've been able to share parts of our life with you, and you've shared parts of your life with me, and it, it bonds us together, and um, yeah, it makes me just really excited and looking forward to when we do get to see each other more regularly, and so I'm glad I got to bump into several of you guys over the past couple of days. Uh, if you've recently found us, I want to say welcome, glad you're here, glad you're going to join us for worship, and would love for you to go ahead and just fill out uh, or just write your name down in the comments below. Um, and we're glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. Our vision at Stonebridge is that we would see our community transformed by God. And, that, and we know that God invites us into his story, into the transformation that he wants to do across the whole world and across Marietta. And so when we worship God, when we come into his presence, when we connect with him, when we meet with him, our lives are transformed. And so that's the desire of our hearts for today, this Sunday worship service, that we would be able to connect with God, that we would be able to focus on him and to worship on him and uh, connect with him this morning and also connect together as a body. And so we're glad you're here to worship with us. Um, and one of the ways that we want to connect together is something we do on the first Sunday of the month. It is uh, our birthday Sunday. And so for all of our May birthdays in Stonebridge, we want to invite you to share with us what you would want to ask God for your birthday. And so we do this as a reminder to, to remember, acknowledge that God is a good father. And he not only gives us what we need, but loves to give us the desires of our heart as well. And so we want to practice that this morning by asking all of you that have May birthdays to go ahead and comment in the videos below um, what you would like to ask God for your birthdays. And go ahead and do that this time. And as you guys are thinking and writing out um, what you would like to ask God for your birthday, if you have a May birthday, uh, we also want to just spend a couple minutes praying for you guys. Um, and so let's go ahead as we launch into worship this morning. Let's go ahead and pray together. I want to lead us in a prayer this morning for all of our May birthdays, but also I want to spend some time praying together communally as a church, for our community, our state, our nation, and then also for the students at Stonebridge. So Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for all of our May birthdays, those that birthdays of May, God, and we ask that this year would be a year that is marked by renewal and growth. God, that this would be a year of blessing and that all of 
the birthday desires, Lord, that you would answer those and it would be a reminder of how much you do love us, how much you do care for us. So let's go ahead and spend a, uh, about a half minute just praying for all of our May birthdays at this time. Heavenly Father, we also want to pray for our community, our state, and nation as all the states begin to slowly open back up. A number of them are slowly opening up. We want to pray for our government leaders across our country. We want to pray, God, for your protection, your protection over the most vulnerable, and that we would give, we would receive your wisdom. In this time of making decisions in our own lives. God, we desire to look to you. And so go ahead, spend a couple of seconds. Let's be praying for our state, for our community, and our nation as it slowly begins to open back up. God, we want to pray for all of our Stonebridge students from elementary, middle, high school, and college. Lord, for all the students that have had this term and this year disrupted, derailed, changed, plans have been altered drastically. God, we ask that our students would receive grace and mercy as they finish up this year online. God, that you'd be meeting them and guiding them into your truth and your heart for them, your heart of love and care for them. So let's pray for all of our Stonebridge students at this time. You are a good shepherd. We lean on you. We trust in you. With our students, with our community, with our state. God, we ask that you would be guiding us and leading us into your truth, into your wisdom, that we would be able to keep in step with the Spirit. We'd be able to walk alongside you. We love you. Amen.
Hey, my name is David. I'm the pastor here at Stonebridge. And again, we're glad that you guys are joining us. Uh, this will be our offering time. And so wherever you are, wherever you're watching this, we'd ask you to go ahead and give and all of the ways are on the screen. And again, we want to thank you all so much for your continued uh, generosity. Uh, when we talk about some of the, we call them giants, the strongholds in Marietta, busyness, money, and rejection are the main three that we talk about. And during this time of quarantine, the busyness pretty much came to a standstill and money has been shaken. And I've been, and just seeing the way y'all are responding, it makes me think and hopeful, um, not just think, but hoping uh, that that stronghold is being shaken in our city and that whatever it looks like as we things begin to open back up, my hope and my prayer is that that idol has, has been dethroned at least to a degree uh, in our lives. So I'm going to pray, and I invite you guys to pray with me. Our worship team is going to go ahead and come on up. Jesus, we want to continue to acknowledge um, that, uh, as you said, we can't serve two masters. We can't serve God and money, and we don't want to. We just want to to serve you, and we want to use money. God, I'm so thankful for the ways people have been giving uh, over these past six weeks. I pray that you would uh, continue to provide for each household uh, in this church. I pray particularly for those who... Um, maybe April, di- April didn't look as good as March, and maybe they're wondering if May's even going to look as good as April. I pray that you would fill their hearts with peace. I pray that you would provide for them, whether that's through new work opportunities, more hours, uh, through some of these uh, assistance programs that have been um, launched. However you want to provide, God, I pray that you would do so. And I pray as your children that we would ask you every day for our daily bread, trusting you. Um, to take care of us. God, I pray particularly for those who wrestle with fear and anxiety um, around finances. I pray for them to have gracious to remember uh, when that anxiety hits, to turn to you, to release to you that fear and that anxiety and that your peace would fill their hearts and their minds. God, I pray even this uh, act of, uh, of worship that we're stepping into would be an opportunity for us to be reminded of your provision, and of your grace. We want to give you not just our money, we want to give you our lives. And so as we turn our hearts to you now in worship, I pray that you would fill each home uh, in this city, that each home would be a Bethel, a place where heaven and earth meet, that each one of us would engage with you as our good Father in heaven, that each one of us would worship and honor you, Jesus the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that each one of us would be sensitive to the move of your spirit in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.
going to be um, PG, so parents, you may want to fast forward until I'm not on the screen again. I was wrestling with this during that first song, um, the caverns in our heart, and the picture that came into my mind was a, a baby in a womb, like a fetus, and I'm thinking, um, and I believe this is from the Lord, there's some of you, and there's a cavern in your heart and it's connected to the loss of a baby, some miscarriage, but really this is, it's abortion. And some you're dreading this next week leading up to Mother's Day because it's a reminder for some of you of what you lost. And for some of you, honestly, it's what you, this is harsh. It's, it's, it's what you kind of threw away. And that's just the word in my mind. It's not condemnation from the Lord. And we want to take a second and pray. I hope this doesn't, isn't messy within your home. I just don't want to miss the opportunity to pray. And you reach out to us if that's you and we can follow up. We'll follow up with you this week. You can just email, um, you just email Kim. So if you have a cavern in your heart, particularly related to grief and even more specifically related to the loss of a baby, just pray with me if you would. God, I pray for those who've lost children that they've never even gotten to know. I recognize the hole that that places in someone's heart and how that is kind of a constant what if for them. And I pray that particularly this week leading up to Mother's Day that you would minister to those women. That's their reality and that's the, that's their, I pray that that reality, I pray in the midst of that, I pray that would become their testimony that you met them in the midst of that loss. That you comforted them 
that you brought healing to them, that you brought hope to them. God, I pray for those who heard the words. Just have another one. Dismissing. The, the life of this baby that was lost, I pray that you would wash that out of their memory and out of their heart. And God, I pray for those who maybe made that brutal choice when they were backed into a corner. Maybe they didn't know any better. Whatever the circumstances surrounding that choice, those that decided to terminate a pregnancy at some point in their life, God, I pray that you would bring healing and wholeness to them. I pray that you would set them free from any sense of condemnation that they may feel, that they're second-class Christians, that their that stain can never be washed away. God, I, I pray that you would minister, Holy Spirit, the fullness of forgiveness into their hearts, that they would sense your deep love and compassion for them. And they would know they will get to meet that baby. And it won't be a, a meeting of accusation and recrimination. It will be one of joy. So would you bless these women? Would you fill the caverns in their soul, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to go back into that first song just for a moment. And he makes a way where there is no way. He brings streams in the desert. He makes the crooked path straight. He makes beauty from ashes. And joy comes from morning. And so I want to sing this. We're going to sing, come and fill this place. And I want you to sing it in a way that's inviting him to fill that specific place. And if it's not, if this doesn't resonate with you, then sing it. Just sing it over uh, your, your home and your family. Just that his Holy Spirit would come and fill the rooms in your heart that are that are dark, that are secret, that are separate, that he would come and bring light into those places. Spirit, come and fill this place. Let your glory
Shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. 
you guys have a Bible, you can turn to Revelation chapter 18. Revelation 18, I got two announcements. One, so there's this uh, deal, it's called 404 prayer, which is corny, but it's praying uh, at 404 every day for four minutes beginning on Sunday, May 3rd. So if you're watching this on Sunday beginning today, through May 31st, there's 46 churches in our area that are participating. So every day around 4, Kim will post something to Facebook and she'll send out a, in that daily devotion. It'll be a link to a video that one of these 46 pastors has made 
You just click on that link, click on the Facebook post. That pastor will introduce himself. He'll share a, a verse about prayer, and then he'll lead you in a prayer for a minute or two. The whole thing, again, the, the top end is four minutes. The idea is to get uh, as many people as possible praying for our community as we can. Again, the title's a little corny. I wanted to call it 770, and only the really smart people would realize that it started at 810. And that would be our way of kind of weeding people out. But they didn't ask me for my opinion. So 404, uh, beginning May 3rd through May 31st, praying for our community. All of that stuff will be on Facebook and through that daily devotion. Second announcement, uh, Jeremy Morris, our student pastor, has been working closely with Amaria City Schools for the past several weeks, uh, helping to get meals to families. So if I understand correctly, the school system is delivering like a school lunch to kids or driving around in buses and doing that. What Jeremy's doing is helping provide food for those families. And so there's multiple distribution points around the city and they're collecting food and packaging it up and people are coming to get it uh, during the week and they're running low. So what we're asking is for you to get canned vegetables and canned fruit. And my requirement is you don't give anything that you wouldn't eat. So you don't, it's not the thing in the back of your uh, pantry that you picked up accidentally. Don't bring us any expired food. Get stuff that you would actually eat and bring it by. Let me get the dates. Uh, this Wednesday and this Thursday. So Wednesday from 12 to 2, Thursday from 9 to 11. Bring it to the back parking lot at the church Jeremy's got a blue uh, truck, and he's going to leave the bed open. You just drop the canned goods in there, and then you go on your way. You don't have to interact with anybody. So that's Wednesday from 12 to 2, Thursday from 9-11. Canned fruits and veggies, bring the good stuff, and we will get that out to these uh, families, uh, Marietta City Schools. Do you need help, Jeremy, with anything else, like distribution or anything? No, so we're good on the distribution. This is the primary way you can help is by bringing food. Okay, so uh, Revelation. So we've spent the past several weeks looking at the fall of Babylon that's mentioned at, in the seventh bowl of God's wrath. Chapter 16, chapter 17, John sees a vision of a woman on a scarlet beast. The woman is called the great prostitute, uh, Babylon the great. Uh, the beast is the same beast from Revelation 13. We said using our like the, the, the lens, the, the past lens, looking, what, excuse me, what did the first audience hear? What they would have heard is the woman is the city of Rome and all of her affluence and all of her influence and all of her immorality. And she's riding on the beast of the Roman political and military power. We said for us, this woman is the world. That's what the New Testament refers to, the world, the, the system of values, culture, behavior, attitudes that's opposed to Jesus and is actively seeking to lure God's people away, actively seeking to seduce God's people. That's the whole idea of her being a prostitute. She's trying to lure people into unfaithfulness. Last week, we heard the, the announcement about the fall of Babylon and this word to the church come out of her so we don't share in her sins and so we don't share in her punishment, in her judgments. And today we're going to look at the reaction to two different groups of people to the fall of Babylon. So chapter 18, starting in verse uh, 9. 
when the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her, that's with Babylon, and shared her luxury, see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour, your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood and articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron and marble. Cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages and human beings sold as slaves. They will say, the fruit you long for is gone from you. All your luxury and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain and all who travel by ship the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, Was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour she's been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets, for God has judged her with the judgment she imposed on you. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a millstone and threw it into the sea and said, with such great violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, pipers and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No worker of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's important people. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of prophets and God's holy people of all who've been slaughtered on the earth. So just briefly on the fall of Babylon, we see that these are the guys that are mourning her. We see that her, her fall is quick. It's, it's one day uh, is what it says, I think, uh, in this section we looked at uh, last week. I think it's maybe verse 6. One hour we hit that. Uh, we saw that a couple of times in this section. That just means a relatively short period of time. We see the fall of Babylon is thorough. There's no more social life. There's no music. There's no more uh, economic life. Nobody's working. And there's no more family life. There's no bride and groom. And three groups mourn the fall of Babylon. The merchants of the earth, the captains of the sea, and the kings of the earth. And notice that all three of them, they're, they're, they're mourning and that's legitimate. But it's not from a place of affection or a place of love. Uh, they're all said to stand far off. It's to me that they're mourning, not so much that Babylon is fallen and they hurt for Babylon. Babylon is falling and they hurt for themselves. They all benefited from their relationship with Babylon and now that relationship has been severed and they're having to pay the consequences of that. Again, they're mourning from far off. It's almost like they're more shocked uh, than anything else. So using again those first century glasses, what would the first audience have heard if the great prostitute is Rome? The kings of the earth, are, they're the rich and the powerful. They're the elites who benefited from their relationship with Babylon. The merchants of the earth, 
Those are those who got rich selling Rome. All of this list of cargo that we saw. How many times in Revelation have we wished for John to get really specific and give us a lot of detail and he hasn't. But he chooses to list 28 things that the Romans imported. And the guys that sold that stuff got rich. And of those 28 items, 25 of them are uh, they're, they're luxury items. They were items that were imported at, and they were a sign of, of wealth and a sign of status. And then you have the captains of the sea. And that's like that for us, that'd be like the truck driver kind of guys. Those are the guys, they're just bringing the goods to and from Rome. Every, most of these things were imported, uh, many of them from the east. And so they would have come in through a port. I was thinking through that. And I don't have a great parallel for us, and, and there may not be a, a connection point for you. I was thinking of these, this list of cargo. Why would John go into so much detail about what's on the ship, about what they're importing? Again, these are luxury goods. Um, they're displays of wealth and status. I was thinking when I, I grew up here, and I was thinking growing up, we, we kind of had four malls. Really, you only had three, but you kind of had a fourth. Cobb Center, not too many people went to that one. Then you had Town Center, and that was kind of like the mall for regular folks. And then you had Lenox, and that's where you went to get your girlfriend a birthday present. And then you had Phipps, and you just never went there. And so to me, th this stuff on the boat, like it, it's the Phipps of things. It's, it's if you're, it, it's, they're all luxuries. They're, it's certainly not essential. They were, things would be somewhat flamboyant maybe. Maybe ostentatious is the right word. And John is highlighting those. Remember, we said a big element of Babylon is her wealth and what that wealth kind of leads to. And even in some ways, the worship of wealth or seeing wealth as a primary, if not the primary value. So for us, Rome fell in 476. What does it have to do with us? The world. This is the world system. It's the culture. It's the behavior. It's the attitudes that are opposed to Jesus. And again, remember, prostitute attempting to seduce us, to lure us away from love and affection and loyalty to Jesus. So I was thinking about that. What does this look like? That word come out of Babylon. We saw that last week. We said that's not a physical relocation. We're not moving away from the world. I was thinking about wealth and immorality and influence. And I don't want to say the United States is Babylon, but we do bear a resemblance. The wealthiest nation in the history of the earth are saying, you know, we're one of maybe one or two superpowers on the earth. We have great influence. And then immorality, that kind of speaks for itself as well in our nation. And it's not about selling all our stuff and moving to Guatemala. How do we come out of Babylon? And we said last week, it's an ideological coming out. It's, it's separating our heart. It's, it's, it's breaking the strings that tie us to Babylon. What happens to the merchants of the earth? What happens to the captains of the sea? What happens to the kings of the earth? Is when Babylon goes down, it impacts them negatively. They've hitched their wagon to that horse. And when that horse is overthrown, they go down as well. And I don't want that for you and I don't want that for me. When God shakes Babylon and when God overthrows Babylon, the, close, the more closely we're tethered or tied to Babylon, the more her shaking and the more her falling will impact us. It's low-hanging fruit. We've talked about it for several weeks. You think the stock market. They've done research on how the ups and downs of the stock market affect people's emotionally. And you, like, 
not rocket science. When the stock market drops, there's an increase in the number of hospitalizations for mental health reasons. But they did some research recently that volatility, even in a bull market, anxiety disorders increase. Just the volatility of the stock market, even when it's going up, causes people to become overly anxious. We're tied so much to that measure of wealth. And again, it's not about selling all of your things and moving to a new country. We said that wherever we go, we go. We bring our hearts with us. It's about severing the ties between us and Babylon more than physically trying to relocate or physically running away. So what can that look like? The big three, we mentioned these last week, that book, uh, Richard Foster, Money, Sex and Power. Side note on that, I hadn't read the section on sex when I mentioned the book last week. It made me blush a lot, so I don't, I'm Switzerland. I'm not recommending it or not recommending it. And if you read it, don't call me about that second section. I don't want to hear about it. But I will say this, uh, Money, Sex and Power, big three. Babylon, we see those and we see those in our Um, we see those in our culture as well. How do you break the strings? Richard Foster, he calls it the ministry of small things. I love that phrase. It's simple acts of everyday obedience. Every time you choose to give, you're you're, you're cutting a heartstring with Babylon, whether that's giving to someone you see on the street, whether that's giving to a loved one in need, whether that's giving to a church or a missionary, whether that's giving to a, a nonprofit or another organization that you support, every time you take money out of your pocket and you don't get anything from it, you're choosing to give it away, you're cutting a heartstring with Babylon. Babylon who says money is the highest measure of status. It is the greatest value. Thinking about sex, every time you choose fidelity, Every time you choose to be faithful to your spouse, every time you choose abstinence before marriage, every time you choose to honor your boyfriend or your girlfriend versus pawing them, every time you choose to look away from pornography, every time you choose fidelity, you're cutting a string with Babylon that commercializes and cheapens sex. Power, every time you choose to wash somebody's feet, Every time you choose to let somebody else go first, every time you choose to take a back seat, every time you're willing for somebody else to get credit, you're cutting a string with Babylon who fights for position and prestige and reputation. It's the ministry of small things. It's daily obedience. It's choosing to tether your heart to Jesus and to sever the ties with Babylon. And that's not just a one-time crisis experience. That's daily choosing uh, the path of faithfulness. And when Babylon is shaken, and it's being shaken right now, when it's shaken, you'll recognize my, your heart wasn't shaken, that, that you were still able to minister peace, and you were able to minister hope and joy to others who felt like the sky was falling. Your sky wasn't falling because you had not hitched your wagon to that horse. Although you lived here You were not of here. You recognized your citizenship was in heaven and that your treasure was in heaven and that your identity was rooted in your relationship with the Father who is in heaven. And so that allowed you to navigate the chaos and the crumbling and the shaking of the last five or six weeks and whatever's in front of us without losing hope. The next section, chapter 19, look at this with me real briefly. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven, 
shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen. Bright and clean was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said, don't do it. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for it's the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. So we have a three groups, or the, these three groups who mourn uh, the fall of Babylon. And we have all of those who are aligned with God rejoice at the fall of Babylon. And we need to remember, again, Babylon's not neutral. Babylon is a great enemy of the people of God. She's a prostitute. She's actively seeking to seduce, to lure people away from their relationship with Jesus. When I think about the beast, I think about the beast giving trouble to the church through power, and through persecution, when I think about Babylon or the, this great prostitute, she gives trouble to the church through temptation and seduction. They're both great enemies of the people of God. And there's rejoicing when this great enemy is overthrown. And it, it, as, as we've seen throughout Revelation, this judgment on Babylon is an expression of God's justice. His judgment, we read here, is just and true. Babylon is getting what she deserves. She's reaping what she has Sown. God is paying back to her what she's done to his people. And then we're introduced to this, to another woman. We haven't seen her yet. The bride of the lamb. We know the lamb is Jesus. This is the bride of Christ. And she's a deliberate and a stark contrast to this great prostitute. Not just because the great prostitute is going to her funeral and the bride is going to her wedding. But you can see the contrast in their clothes. Babylon is wearing against its, its very ostentatious and flamboyant dress, the jewelry and expensive clothing. And then this bride of Christ is wearing fine linen, bright and clean, which stands for the righteous acts of the saints. And when I read, when I read that, the, the acts of righteousness, it reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount, speaking about three great acts of righteousness in the Jewish faith and what it looks like for his followers to practice those acts of righteousness, prayer, giving, and fasting. And what he says is make sure that your acts of righteousness are being done before the Father and not before people. If you're doing them so people notice them, then that's its reward. The pat on the back, whatever, whatever rewards you get from people, that is the reward. If you do them before the Father, even if other people see them, he's going to reward you. This isn't about if somebody finds out you're fasting, then you've blown it and you're not going to get a reward from God. It's not that at all. It's about your heart motivation. Are you doing it in order to get the pat on the back? Or are you doing it uh, in order for, for the Lord, in order for him to see it? 
And that's what he's looking at, heart motivation. And Jesus says, that's how you need to do these acts of righteousness. And so I think about all of these hidden acts of righteousness. And uh, for, for you husbands, uh, for you guys, this may be a difficult image to kind of grab onto. It's, it's feminine, uh, speaking about the bride of Christ. But there's some important things here for us in terms of uh, understanding our relationship with Jesus. And it made me think about, uh, as a husband, uh, when, the, uh, when the doors were open. And husbands, you can probably remember this. And you saw your wife for the first time in her wedding dress. And how that hit you. The emotion and all of it. What you're about to enter into. The, the solemnity of that commitment. All of that kind of hits you at once. And I actually wonder, is that what it's going to be like for Jesus? Like I wonder if he's seen the dress. I think about all of these acts of righteousness over thousands of years from hundreds of millions of people that have been hidden, unnoticed, unapplauded, unrecognized as these threads and the Father's just gathering them up. And he's been gathering them up and he's been forming this wedding dress. And again, I, I don't know if Jesus has seen it yet. And I'm wondering if this is the first time. And that's your gift to him. When he sees us in this dress, the, the acts that we did that nobody else saw in his name, that the Father has woven together, these acts done, uh, again, in his name by people who he died to redeem. How does that hit him? And I hope that encourages you in your ministry of small things. I think about like my best day. If I, if I had to rank my acts of righteousness, whatever's at the top of the list, when my heart was the most pure, I was the most spirit-led, I had the least amount of pride on the back end, the least amount of reproach and wondering, did I do it right or what are other people going to think? The most selfless thing I've ever, whatever that is, I still don't think I'd say it's bright and clean. I mean, yet that's how, the, that's, that's what it winds up being. Whether that's the father cleaning it up or that's just the way the father sees them and I don't see it right, I don't know. But I hope that encourages you as well in your ministry of small things. All of these things that you're doing, the small acts of love, the small acts of kindness, the small acts of compassion and grace and justice, that just the everyday acts of faithfulness that never get noticed, that never get posted on social media and go viral that never even get a thank you. They're all being collected. We saw it when in Revelation in chapter 5 and chapter 8. Our prayers are all being collected in these bowls. Even the ones that we feel like aren't being heard, they're all being heard and at just the right time they're going to be answered. And the same thing is true for your acts of righteousness, your, your acts of obedience. They're at just the right time. They're going to be revealed. And again, I'm wondering and I don't know how it works. I'm wondering if that's kind of the knock your socks off moment for Jesus. When he sees the bride in this fine linen, bright and clean. We're also introduced to this idea of the wedding feast. So the bride is also the guest. That can be confusing. It's the same group of people. It's, it's us. It's the followers of Jesus. We're both the bride of Christ and we're the guests at the wedding feast. We, won't, we don't have time to talk about this in too much detail now. 
but just to kind of set it up maybe for uh, next week or the week after when we, when we begin to see this image circles back around. A Jewish wedding or Jewish marriage had two primary elements. There was the betrothal and then there was the wedding feast itself. So the betrothal, that was honestly, it's kind of a negotiation between dads and kind of the arranged marriage piece where you have the dad of a groom and the dad of a bride getting together and setting the terms. But once that, that, co- that commitment was entered into, the couple was considered husband and wife. They weren't living together, but they were considered husband and wife, and faithfulness was expected. It's what we saw see in Joseph and Mary in the Gospels, when uh, Joseph thinks Mary has cheated on him, because how else could she be pregnant? And so he's going to give her a certificate of divorce. They're not yet married, but they're betrothed in the same uh, in general, most of the same conditions apply. So that betrothal, betrothal period lasts up to a year. And then you would have the wedding. And, and the wedding feast had several elements. It begins with the groom and his guys going to the bride's house and getting the bride and then coming back to the groom's house. And they have the wedding feast there. We're living in between betrothal and wedding feast. We've been betrothed to Jesus. And as we've seen throughout Revelation, God expects us to be faithful to him. We're pledged to him, and he expects us to be faithful. He expects us to resist the temptations of Babylon, the prostitute. And when Jesus returns, that's like the groom coming to get the bride, and then we'll go with him uh, to the wedding feast. And that's a, a, an image that he uses several times towards the end of the Gospels. That last week of his life, when he's talking about the end times and his return, that's an image that comes up in some of those parables. Again, we'll talk some more about that when we get into chapter 21 and chapter 22. But just know for now, the guests of the wedding are or is, the, the, it's the bride. You're, you're, you're both. You're both the bride of Christ and you're a guest at the wedding. And as with everything we see in Revelation, it's an either or. John reduces everything to a point of decision. There is no gray. There is no fence. There is no ambivalence at that point. We're either part of the bride of Christ or we're connected to the great prostitute. We're either a guest of the wedding and we're participating in those festivities or we've been left out. So I want to take a few minutes and ask you to pray with me about a couple of things first. I want you to just ask yourself just this question. Am I going to be a guest at the wedding? So I'll tell you this. You've received an invitation. If that's what you're wondering about, you've already received one. The question is whether you're going to Show up or not. We'll see next week. The, the other option is really not great. It's Armageddon. If you've never said yes to Jesus, why not now? He's invited you to this great wedding banquet. And remember the banquet, that's just the beginning. It's like your reception for your own wedding. That's just the beginning. I would ask you if you're in a spot and you're saying, you know, I don't, I don't know. 
that I'd like to know. You can pray a prayer like this. God, my desire is to, I want to be a guest at that wedding feast. I want to say yes to your invitation. And so I ask you to come and to fill my heart with your spirit. I recognize right now my clothes are filthy. And I also acknowledge that you're going to give me bright linen, fine and clean. Remember that in that passage. I didn't, I didn't speak about that. The bride is given the clothes. It's the Father clothing us. He'll do that for you right now. You give him your rags. He'll give you bright linen. You don't have to have a big emotional experience making a decision in your heart. And if you did, I'd encourage you just to tell somebody. Tell somebody you're watching with and please let one of us know. You can email Matt and he'll follow up with you. If you're a student, email Jeremy. If you're a kid, email Katie. We'd love to know and help you take those initial steps of following Jesus. Many of you have already done that. And I just want to encourage you real simply, engage in the ministry of small things this week. I want you to be tremendously encouraged. It all matters. None of it is overlooked by God. None of it. A lot of it doesn't count in Babylon. But all of it counts in the kingdom. If you've, the phrase from Revelation, if you've grown weary in doing well, I want to encourage you right now just to acknowledge that before the Lord. Eugene Peterson calls it a long obedience in the, in the same direction. If, if you're just tired of walking, I want you to acknowledge that before the Lord. If you feel like uh, your faithfulness, your obedience, it's not, it doesn't matter. You're not seeing any fruit. I want you to acknowledge that before the Lord. God, my prayer for those who are growing weary in doing well is that in this moment, wherever they are, they would sense your great delight in them. They would know that even if nobody else sees, you always do. Nothing escapes your attention and your notice. And they would sense your pleasure in their acts of hidden obedience and faithfulness. And this ministry of small things that are so easy for us to overlook and dismiss and ignore. I pray, God, that you would fill us again with your spirit, that you would empower us for a lifetime of obedience that begins today a lifetime of faithfulness that begins today. We wouldn't necessarily be thinking about the long obedience. We would just be thinking about the daily. What does it look like for me to be faithful today? 
What does it look like for me to, to give? What does it look like for me to serve? What does it look like for me to be faithful to the ones you've put in my life? What does that look like for me today? What does love look like? What is kindness? What is compassion? What is justice? What do those things look like? And what oftentimes feels like the smallness of my life. Would you show me what those things look like? Would you give me grace to say yes? God, I pray that for everybody here. We would all know the deep joy and delight that you take in us. That even when we've tried and it's, it's still got our fingerprints all on it and it's kind of smudged and dirty, that you take great delight and joy and even our halting attempts at obedience and faithfulness. And somehow you take all of that and you turn it into something that's bright and clean. And I think something that's going to be a huge blessing to Jesus on that day. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you guys. uh, See you all next week.